All right. Hey, 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 everybody. This is Chris McInnes. And Darren Hogan. And you are listening to the beta version of Totally Sort Of, the podcast. This being the second secret unrecorded, uh, well, recorded, but unreleased episode. Yeah. Unreleased so far, but who knows. So how's your week been? It's been good. So what is your totally unrelated anecdote for the week? I had a friend who I also know from work. He's a defense lawyer. Mm -hmm. He lives in my neighborhood. My kids go to the same dance studio as his kids. Yeah. Uh, we, we became friends. We did a murder trial against each other a couple <laughs> years ago that came back on appeal. So we had to redo it. And I convicted his client again of murder and he was uh, there, there's really no closer bond of friendship than when you've stood across a courtroom for a murder trial against a fellow lawyer i guess yeah and so he's a really good guy i like him he was recently appointed as a judge and so he had his swearing in this week and i went to the party to celebrate his swearing in afterwards it was very nice as a crown lawyer meaning i work for the government we don't get a lot of parties with open bars and free food so it was nice to uh, attend such an event so it was a it was a fun event cool um i've been uh, painting our guest bedroom and uh after many many attempts to find the exact perfect shade of paint uh, we finally found it and uh, we've been doing lots of little tester pots and putting little paint swatches all over the place so i finally picked the right color and went in to get a, a larger quantity of it from the paint store this week and uh, the woman at the paint store said oh that's our uh, 2018 color of the year and uh, i almost wanted to change my pick after that it's like i worked really hard <laughs> to pick something very unique <laughs> And now you're telling me this is like the trendy color of the year. So I was quite thoroughly unimpressed with that, but not so unimpressed as to uh, give up. But yeah. So you painted my bedroom is what you're saying? Uh, it's in progress. It's it's currently got uh, five shades of paint in there. All right. But yeah. it'll be done by August when I show up again this year? I think I, I think I can safely say it'll be done by August. All right. Yeah. Shall we move into our first segment then? I think we should do My Week in Geek. All right, so how was your Week in Geek? It was uh, good. I was watching lots of TV. I think uh, that's going to be our go-to starting point. So the TV show that I've been watching is uh, a Netflix and I think BBC co-production called The End of the Fucking World. I saw that on my uh, Netflix feed this week. Yeah, so it's uh, it's really good. It's... It, a little something different. Um, I think a few things I like about it. So basically, it is kind of a road, a road show, road story. A couple of teenagers who get up to no good, and um, things kind of go bad in a sort of Coen Brothersy kind of way. But things go bad. It's a road trip. Um, it's funny, but it's quite serious and quite dark at times. But a few really cool things about it has uh, an amazing soundtrack, and the soundtrack kind of ranges from like 80s new wave to 60s uh, psychedelia, um, really really cool stuff. And um, so it was very enjoyable for that. Had some amazing performances. It's one of those shows that like 
every character in it, even if they have only have a very small part, just seems very authentic and very like somebody you would run across. And the one character that we were really surprised by, who is that woman? Who is that woman? She was a police officer, and it turned out to be the actress Gemma Whalen, who plays uh, Yara Greyjoy in Game of Thrones, but as kind of a frumpy, you know, day-to-day police detective in England. So um, the other really, really cool show, cool thing about this show is it shows the British landscape and British scenery in a way that um, reminded me of True Detective. The way, uh, I think especially in the first season of True Detective, but in both seasons, they really do a lot of landscape shots and a lot of wide shots that kind of really make you feel like you're in the place. This show did a lot of, whether they were out in the country or whether they're in the kind of back streets of, of British um, you know, subdivisions and things, it really grounded you in the place. So um, I don't want to tell you too much about the plot, but uh, I really recommend you check it out. Sounds good. My TV show that I will talk about this week was, again, a- another Netflix show. I caught the first two episodes of Black Mirror Season 4. Uh-huh. Do you watch Black Mirror? We've watched a couple of them. Um, we've tended to watch them at bad times, and they can be so dark that uh, Jen was totally turned off, and I haven't been motivated that much to go back in, but I've enjoyed the ones I've seen. Yeah, I find generally it makes you uncomfortable, but that that's a good thing. That's something that actually has an effect on you. Although you're right, it, they can be kind of dark, but I find them less disturbing than just they, they force you outside of your comfort zone. Well, because they're often talking about things that we should be uncomfortable about. Yep. And the general focus, I mean, I, I've heard it generally described as sort of technology run amok being the the theme of the the series which is kind of true and it's basically what every episode is about but it's always about technology that's not so far into the realm of science fiction that you could actually envision within five years we could have that or yeah so we were talking things that are really close to what we have now so i watched the first two episodes uh, the first one being the uss callister episode okay which generally is about, uh, without giving too much away, it's about a guy who uh, run or developed software for what is the most popular uh, gaming online virtual reality platform on the earth, and it's uh, you know advanced technology. So you you plug in, you put these sensors on your head, and then you're basically in this world walking around doing stuff, and. So he developed it, but he had a friend who was more the business savvy one who ran the company and his friend has kind of pushed him out and taken over running the company and basically treats him like a, a lower class employee. And because he does that, everybody else at work kind of treats him like he's a, a second class citizen in okay. the company, even though he's one of the co-designers. Well, he's the one who designed the whole thing. And He's become increasingly bitter about this. So he's created an, a separate version of the program, the online program that runs in his home where he's the absolute one in charge. And he's taken all of the people from his workplace that have wronged him in some way and inserted them into the program. Basically, he's taken 
uh, samples of their DNA by swabbing their coffee cups and stuff and use that to create perfect identical copies of them inside this world. So they are, to all extents, the exact person. Basically, what he's, what, what he's made is his favorite TV show of all time, which is Starfleet, which is a very thinly veiled original <laughs> Star Trek where he's Captain Kirk uh, or the equivalent thereof, and everybody else is a subordinate member of the crew, and he treats them like complete garbage. <laughs> and all of them are cognizant as if they were the people who were put in there that they're stuck in this program and at his whims, but he controls everything. So if they don't play along with what he's trying to do, he turns them into monsters and abandons them on a planet. Or he, one, one woman who doesn't want to play along, he takes away her entire face. So she's lying on the ground gasping for breath and he's, Basically, I can leave you there forever. You will never die because you are a digital construct. You'll be lying on the floor there, gasping for breath and unable to breathe wow. for the rest of eternity. Or you can play along. That's pretty dark. That's pretty. It grim. is. It is. So yeah, it was a it was a great first episode, and it was. Uh, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I'm not going to give anything more away about what eventually happens, but it's uh, it was uh, very typical of the Black Mirror episode that it was technology not too far away in advance that you couldn't see it as something possible, but it's still into the realm of science fiction. Cool. Well, it's funny because the other show that I've been really getting into this week is The Orville. Have you watched any of that yet? No, I haven't, but I have been uh, meaning to. So... A coworker of mine told me about this, and I, I was kind of skeptical because um, for people who don't know anything about it, uh, it's a sort of a loving homage to Star Trek The Next Generation, created by and starring uh, Seth MacFarlane, who I'm not the biggest fan of, uh, of Seth MacFarlane. I'm family guy. Any of his stuff really doesn't particularly do it for me. I don't hate him, but he, you know, I don't get excited by his comedy. So I was really surprised that not only is this a great show um, in terms of it's it's almost like getting bonus episodes of The Next Generation because it is so similar in tone and feel and the writing is actually the, the sci-fi stories are actually pretty good stories. But the comedy is just a really nice balance between kind of over-the-top action movie comedy and really subtle, you know, real life comedy. Um, it's just as if people on a, a starship happen to be funny and happen to use normal kinds of jokes. It's uh, it's the the level of humor is just great. You also get some good some good guest appearances. Uh, Norm Macdonald is stars as like a little gelatinous blob who uh, just kind of slithers around the the ship and gets some good one-liners. But uh, yeah, it's just amazingly good. Um, the episodes just feel feel like bonus Star Trek episodes. Yeah, I've heard uh, some people who are unhappy with Discovery, mm -hmm. the uh, most recent incarnation of Star Trek, say. If you're unhappy with Discovery, you should go watch the Orville because it's sort of the Star Trek episode or the Star Trek show that you really want. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's a totally fair, totally fair uh, thing to say. I did. Have you watched Discovery yourself? I watched the first two episodes. Yeah, and I wasn't turned off by it, but it just never 
drew me to go back and continue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't quite make it through the first episode. I think I, uh, I fell asleep. <laughs> Just not a great, not a great review. No, that's not a good indicator. I find two indicators for television now uh, that uh, let me know whether it's something I really want to watch. One is falling asleep. Yeah. The other one is how many times do I pick up my cell phone and look at something <laughs> other than unrelated to the show while I'm watching a show. If I do that too many times, it's a good indication that maybe I'm not really all that into this show. Yeah, that's a good good indicator. All right. So what else you got, have you uh, been getting into this week? All right, so movies. I watched a bunch of movies this weekend because I was at uh, a friend's place and okay. we watched a bunch of movies, but I'll talk about one in particular. So we watched this movie called uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99. Okay. Have you seen this film? I have not even heard of this film. So it's an indie film starring Vince Vaughn, and it was really good. It's uh, in the line of sort of, uh, did you see John Wick? Uh, no, but I am at least familiar with that one. <laughs> so it, it's generally the idea of this this individual who you kind of have to suspend your disbelief and accept that He's basically a superhero. Okay. You know, same with like 24 with Jack Bauer. You just got to go with it. Sure. So it's about this guy who just starts off having the shittiest day. He loses his job. He comes home. He finds out his wife is having an affair. And he basically decides we've got to change. We've got to make this better. So he, what he decides to do is go to work for his friend who's a drug dealer by as a delivery person for his drugs and he asks his wife if she can accept that she says yes boom flash forward 18 months they're living in a much nicer home he's got a much better car she's pregnant everything seems to be rolling along fine but of course things go horribly wrong and i don't want to give away too much about how things happen but he winds up in jail because he crosses the person, not the person who gave him the job doing drugs, but some other big-time drug dealer. And the big-time drug dealer kidnaps his wife, threatens his unborn child to get him to do bad things while he's in prison on his behalf. Okay, and, so he's been sent to jail and he's being blackmailed while he's in jail. Yes. And the absolute focus with which he then gets to go do what he's being told to do is just uh, a straight route of nonstop violence until the end of the film in which he, again, you, you've got to kind of suspend disbelief. He's basically a superhero who can take incredible amounts of punishment and just keep meeting out more on a progressively more and more <laughs> violent scale. And it's, it's just really fun. It, moves and moves and moves once you hit the, a certain point in the movie where they've done giving you the the front story it's just a non-stop ride right till the last scene wow. and it really it hits i mean it's it's extremely violent in the way some of those movies are but not uh, overly you know gore filled or to to that extent but it's just a man in constant motion doing what he has to do to get to his objective. And he's basically prepared to do anything it takes to get there. And he pretty much does. Cool. So, uh, cool. I will definitely check that out. Is that, is it a recent flick? Yes. Okay. 
So but Vince Vaughn is fantastic in it. Hmm. I mean, I'm looking forward to that. I will definitely have to check that out. Cool. That's Brawl in Cell Block 99. Nice. All right. All right. Board games is the next segment. Sure. Uh, you want to start or you want me to? Yeah, I wanted to talk about a game that I played a lot with the kids the in the last little while since Christmas, actually. It's called Otrio. Okay. Do you know this game? I do not. So Otrio is a variation of tic-tac-toe, essentially. Okay. It's got a really nice wooden board. Mm-hmm. Um, it plays with up to four players, but it's a standard tic-tac-toe board, a three-by-three grid, but each of the squares in the grid has three circular positions, a large one, a medium, and a small one. And you have, uh, as pieces that you can place on the grid, three large pieces, three large circles, three medium circles, and three small circles. And you go around uh, in clockwise order, placing any one of those three pieces into any location on the board. And you can get a tic-tac-toe win in three different ways. One is three identical pieces in a row, so three large, three small, or three medium pieces in a row. You can get a tic-tac-toe win by placing three pieces in ascending or descending order, so big, medium, small, or small, medium, big. Or you can get a win by placing three pieces into the same square on the board. So it's tic-tac-toe with this advanced strategy and where it really shines is when you play with more than two people because you have to block the person who plays after you not the person who plays before you because the it's going to go around the table before you get back so your obligation is always to block the person who plays after you because the way it scores is you get one point for winning and if the person who plays after you wins you lose a point and you play to five points Hmm. and so it's just a really interesting take on tic-tac-toe it plays really really quickly each round and I was frankly surprised by how often or how rare it is that you wind up with the stalemate that you always wind up with in tic-tac-toe because there are three different ways to make your win and you miss them all the time. And it's just a really fun game. It's a independently made game by uh, this guy, Brady Peterson, who I read, there's a little bio of him on the box that said he basically uh, came up with the idea from from seeing uh, a, a rug in a restaurant that had a series of concentric circles, big, medium, and small. And he got it published by a company called Marble's Brain Workshop, which is uh, here in Toronto, and then distributed by Spin Master Games, which is also here in Toronto. And they're the big gaming company behind a whole bunch of toys. They they designed those air hog uh, flying mm-hmm. remote control things made for kids. And their hugest thing with Bakugans was their invention. So he wow. got a decent-sized company to uh, to mass market and produce it and it was uh, it's a 2016 game and at least according to the box it was the number one game in switzerland and the number one game in sweden in 2016 wow that's cool otrio otrio all right it's a it's a really nice board and setup too because it's an actual board made of real wood yeah 
and it's very nicely designed. It looks nice, and the little plastic pieces are are they're just plastic rings, but they're just very aesthetically nice to touch. Yeah, I'm all about the component quality. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, at the other end of the uh, complexity spectrum, uh, I got to try Gloomhaven this week. Oh, you did. I did. What did you think? So, uh, and I think you mentioned you uh, you've played that a couple times with the boys. I have, yes. Yeah. So um, Gloomhaven is uh, has been a massive Kickstarter success. It's a, a dungeon crawler kind of Dungeons and Dragons themed um, game where you're moving around and fighting monsters and grabbing loot and that kind of thing. Uh, it's got a lot of campaign and story elements um, and unlockable things, but um, it's a huge, huge package of, of stuff that you get with it. It is a giant chest. I, I just find it so fascinating that at this point in, in you know, tabletop gaming, people are developing and marketing games that have so much replay value, but most of us never play games more than three or four times anymore. It just at least it feels like that sometimes. That uh, that cult of the new, as we call it in board gaming, that people are just always learning and trying new games. Anyways. Um, so I got to play Gloomhaven, uh, it was my first time, uh, a couple of the guys in the group had played before, but it was still pretty early on, um, I played a little Ratman, and, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty cool system, um, did you jump into an ongoing campaign that they were playing, well, it was or did like you just... the first adventure, I think, all right, so, um, it's it's kind of neat. It's got some really neat mechanics, but it it seemed like the mechanics really really uh, forced everybody to to overthink their moves, and it made what should have been a really simple little three room encounter uh, into an all night thing. So uh, I was I was excited to get a chance to play it, and I thought it, the you know the core mechanic of having two cards and choosing. You know, each card has a top and a bottom, and you pick a pair of cards, and once your turn comes around, you can use the top half of one and the bottom half of the other. That's kind of neat. Um, I liked that, but uh, overall, it felt pretty slow to me. Yeah, I when I played with the kids, I made a few modifications to the rules to speed it up, because those two cards that you select each turn you're supposed to use one as your initiative mm-hmm. number so that and but you're supposed to hide it from everybody else so that nobody knows who's going first second third right uh, that seemed to me uh, overly complex and I mean I was playing with kids as well and so I wanted to make things move a little more smoothly and I don't see why when you can talk about basically everything else you can't decide or why thematically your party can't decide who's going to attack first second and third so we just uh, d- abandoned that rule and talked about you know who does it make sense to go first second and third you still had to play have a card and play it mm-hmm. in a way that would would allow you to do so because that seems to also reflect the kind of character you have is going to have different numbers of initiative cards some are going to have more higher some more lower right well at least with with that variant that you're describing you'd avoid the problem of i plan to move up and attack this skeleton but by the time my turn rolls around, that skeleton's already been killed. That's right. 
And so I, I thought it moved. I mean, I had never played it the other way, but I thought to me, it seemed to flow a little more easily through the turns that you don't have an idea what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. That's wiped out by the person who goes before you that you didn't know was going to go before you. And now you've got to rethink your whole turn. Sure. I, I can see that being a good variant um, with the right players. I think with uh, some gamers that would just, that would further slow things down. Cause I know, for example, some of the guys that I, I play uh, like Zombicide with, we strategize out turn order and, among other things. And I can see that if you added who's going when to the decision-making process of like everybody already has a complex decision-making process for what they're doing themselves. But if you then ask those kinds of people to coordinate who's going when on top of that, it could be could go the other way. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, it's a neat enough game. Um, how have you sort of unlocked different things in it, or? No, we haven't got anything unlocked yet. Yeah. But yeah, it's you've got this massive chest of things, and it's uh, very much. I just want to open all that stuff and see what's in all those other boxes. But okay, I'll hold off, and yeah, we'll we'll get there eventually. Yeah. Cool. But I guess that will depend on whether this is a game that we play more than three times. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would play it again, but I'm not stoked to get out and get back into it. I just thought the overall um, flow of it was was kind of kind of a trudge. Uh, I think it'd probably be a lot of fun with maybe two people. That was just my impression on one play. So, shall we move to the next section, which is video games? Sure. Have you been video gaming this week? I have only to report that last week we talked about Halcyon 6, yep. which you were playing. Mm-hmm. And since I had a long ride to Ottawa uh, and back, and one of the things you said was that the game seems to require longer play sessions. Yeah. I should clarify, I was not the driver. I was a passenger <laughs> on a long drive. So it seemed like I would the, have the some The 4X time strategy to... game is, is really not something you should be doing while driving. <laughs> Yeah, so I uh, I installed it on my iPad and took it with me to play uh, in the car on the way to Ottawa. Well, back. this is I, cool, so I get some feedback because I actually haven't been playing it at all this week. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I kind of think that what you need to do is have one test play and figure out how the game runs and then probably have a second one where you're actually... Hopefully getting a better start implementing what you learned from the first one because I'm or maybe it's not I mean I haven't gotten far enough in that I know whether choices I made early in the earlier in the game are going to Hmm. limit what I can do down the road or should I have gone to this tech tree faster it's always kind of interesting to see like have these mistakes that I've made in the game have they screwed up my entire game or can I work around them as it goes forward like I know that in my game I built a dark matter reactor um, that seems to now be poisoning all my crew. <laughs> okay, I just built a dark matter reactor. I didn't know that it was going to poison all of my crew. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how serious it is yet, but uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I quite enjoy it. It f- feels like something that I've played before, and I can't put my finger on it, but uh, I do enjoy what we talked about last week, the sort of uh, lo-fi digital effects yep. and uh, but that it's intensive more in the idea of strategy and base building and and developing your crew and your ships and and the space station that you're in yeah for sure i i think uh the the one 
element of those games that never they never seem to emphasize enough for me or I can never get enough of is just the the story part of um, just talking to different alien races and like making choices about what races you ally with or which races you you stomp on and I love seeing how that plays out and that goes all the way back to the days of star control and and all the crazy races and ships in that game yeah the scenes where you make contact with another alien race and they show up on your viewfinder and you have to make choices about what to say and how to talk to them it's the best are def- definitely throwbacks to a lot of earlier games yeah that's always my favorite part of those games but yeah i had a lot of fun with it it certainly helped kill the time on a long car ride to ottawa and then back from ottawa cool uh so in podcasts uh over the christmas holidays i um i was looking at like a best of the year list and uh somebody one of these lists alerted me to a show called reply all and basically it's um it's about technology uh, pretty broadly about you know internet and computer technology generally um, it's one of these uh, PBS produced really slick kind of radio shows that just happens to be broadcast as a as a podcast so the the episode of reply all that I listened to this week was about uh, flash games and about um, the period where flash games really just flourished and how crazy and wild and eccentric and over-the-top these games were. And there were two stories. One was about how this one uh, woman was on a quest to find a Flash game that was no longer available. It was something that she remembered from her childhood with a friend. She and a friend had played this game called Bunny Island, um, or Pleased to Meet You Bunny, or it was a really, really weird title. And she hunted and hunted and hunted for it, and she finally found a, a a link to it, but the server that was supposed to be hosting it was no longer hosting it. So the hosts helped track down the actual creator of the program, and so it was a really good kind of mystery story about what, this really weird game, this person's connection to it, and then finding out what happened to it. And it's it's a really cool like mystery story and uh the show every i've only listened to about three or four episodes now but everyone has been really really good so it's called reply all and strongly recommend it sounds good yeah uh comics i read uh fun home this week okay do you know fun home i don't know fun home tell me about it so fun home is referred to as a family tragic comic it's by a woman named allison bestel okay i have massacred her name but it has uh, been transformed into a uh, very successful broadway musical Hmm. okay and it is coming to toronto and i have tickets to see it okay but this is being done at an off mervish site they refer to it as off mervish it's uh at smaller productions at a not at the big grand theaters was kind of excited to see it as it it's a broadway musical or off-broadway musical done based on a graphic novel cool and so it is uh, quite interesting it's a just a story that this woman wrote about her family so she writes a story about her father dying and then goes back and talks about their life together and it's 
in essence a story of her coming out as a lesbian and then discovering that her father was actually gay as well hmm. and how those two things sort of intersect at one point and then he dies and it's how she deals with those two things coming uh, intersecting at that one point in their life so she goes back and then tells the story from the beginning and then talks about how she dealt with it afterwards cool so it falls a lot in line with the my general tendency these days which has been to read non-hero based comics and just stories done in the uh, comic and graphic arts medium and it's uh, quite a it was quite a good story it's well written and I'm uh, I'm actually quite interested to see how they converted this into a musical. So now I'm actually more excited about what they're actually going to do with this property as a musical than you know before it was just they've taken a, a, a comic graphic novel and converted it into a musical, which is somehow popular in mainstream and now now touring outside of uh, Broadway in New York and coming to Toronto. Now it's and now it's a more of a curiosity about how are they going to do this as a musical. Right. But I guess I will, f- I will find out in April of this year, which is when we will be going to see it. So as a graphic novel, um, it, does the writer do the art as well? or? Uh, no, she has someone else who okay. does the art. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. And that was called again? Fun Home. Fun Home. All right. I will check that out. Yeah. I've, uh, yeah, I also really like the biographical stuff and just the kind of human relationship stuff. I over the last few years I've I've gotten more and more into that. I uh, I've got one sitting on my shelf up next that maybe I'll be able to talk about in the next week or two called uh, Blankets that I picked up. Uh our local my local comic book shop has a, a graphic novel group that's like a book club and uh it was their selection for the month so I thought it's uh, bound to be interesting. Blankets is really good. I I have it. I've read it. It's uh it is definitely in a book in the same line as Fun Home, mm-hmm. uh, spun from the same cloth, if you will. It's not the exact same story, obviously, but yeah. they are cool. Uh, similar similar style stories. I will say one thing about Fun Home. This is my one criticism, and I it it is tied into the nature of the story because her father is an English teacher and a lot of their interaction is through literature. As a result, there are, the, the book is replete with references to uh, English literature. Okay. And when you, when you read it, it comes across as a little hoity-toity, the okay. constant quotes and references to you know, classic English literature. Yeah. I'm also curious to see how you translate that into a musical. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, anything else you wanted to touch on particularly this week? No. All right. Well, I will, uh, I will leave you with a little teaser then. Um, my one recommendation for something to check out this week is, uh, GIF Uno. I don't know if anyone, you know, has been doing this chain. Have you seen this? Yes, this is where you... Uh, it's kind of like word association re- with GIFs. Yeah, you, you reply to a GIF posted by someone yeah. with a GIF that somehow relates to the one yeah. that the previous person posted. It's, it's kind of fun and kind of addictive if you're uh, predisposed to that kind of thing. Anyways, there's your there's your happy fun assignment for the week if, if you haven't already seen it. Uh, or if anyone listening hasn't done that yet, check out a, a GIF photo thread somewhere. All right. All right. Well, it's good to talk to you, buddy. Good to talk to you, too. All right. Well, I think we'll call it a week. Thanks for listening to Totally Sort Of, and we'll see you next week. See you next week.